Malcolm Honline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays for the weekly update at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Tisha B'Av is always a day of reflection in addition to it being a day of lamenting and prayer and fasting and mourning. Um, any special message coming off of uh, this year's Tisha B'Av, especially in light of the fact that we so desperately are praying for Jewish unity at this time? So I think there's a very obvious message that has been repeated countless times, but can't be repeated enough, that if we don't learn the lessons of history, we're doomed to repeat them. If we don't learn the price of lack of achlus, you see how our enemies gleefully exploit it, how they, how they are mentioning it, how the Iranian press, how the Hezbollah, how the Hamas guys <clears throat> are uh, chomping at the bit, saying that this is the beginning of the end, this makes Israel vulnerable they understand the importance. You can have differences, but there has to be a point where they draw the line and say that this is that the security and unity come above all else, and the security rests on that unity. And when we see, you know, the soldiers send a message that um, that they will not serve, or other things that come into play, I think it's really uh, the price, as you can see, is very high. You know, a lot of people are obviously tuning in just to hear your comments about what happened this week with the vote, uh, the reaction back to the uh, demonstrations, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll start with that since it's on the list of different things to uh, consider and speak about this morning. Um, on one hand, you have what's been described as thousands who said they would defect and would not serve. On the other hand... Uh, we keep hearing that the reserve duty membership or those who, you know, the percentage of those who are actually showing up uh, for their uh, ob- obliga- obligatory service is higher than ever. So what should we believe that that the majority of the country really does want to sit things out because they're uh, in protest of what's happening or things are really relatively the same way it's always been when it comes to the army and the reserves, but the media of course has to play up the extreme and scare everybody. Well, in this case, I mean, the media is being fed, spoon fed the things that they can then exploit. You're right, the media tends to be very anti-government oriented and loves to exploit these things as they do in America because this makes news. And, you know, if uh, 10,000 soldiers altogether said they wouldn't serve, remember that Israel's reserve army, an an army is altogether 350,000, 375,000, some huge number. And... um, and so it's significant. I don't dismiss it. I think it's very troublesome. Uh, I think it's uh, it's the wrong response to the crisis because of what it feeds our enemies. But so you can have both true and not be contradictory. Now tell me if the media is accurate about this. Um, we were we were assuming, I guess maybe this is how Americans think, we were assuming once the vote was over and certainly once Tishabov began uh, that the protests, the demonstrations would completely uh, fall away and, you know, people would just, you know, go back home, so to speak. But apparently once Tishabov ended last night, there were many more protests that started up again and the media, of course, is playing that up. Are, are these just, you know, a small residual protests? Are we back to the level of hundreds of thousands of people who are now demonstrating again every time? 
no. I mean, the media, that was the expectation, and a number of the demonstrators announced that they would fast yesterday, even if they might not normally, as an act of solidarity, but also fasting for a, a change in the policy. Look, as long as Netanyahu is there, those who are upset with the outcome of the election are going to continue. And I think that as long as the funding is there for, for these demonstrations, even though it doesn't necessarily take a lot of money for people to gather, uh, I think one would have expected that either the summer they would be deterred. But maybe it's become a, you know, a social phenomenon also of people coming out and being able to express whatever frustrations they have. And they're certainly doing it. So I, I do not anticipate that there'll be an end to this. You know, for, for the opposition parties, this has been a godsend in the sense that their numbers, Benny Gantz's numbers, keep going up. And, in fact, the latest polls, even though we know they're notoriously unreliable when it comes to Israel, that Israelis tell the truth to the pollsters and then lie at the polls, that the um, that he would get have enough for a 64-vote majority in, in the Knesset. I think it's it's. Uh, I don't see them going to elections now. Uh, this Israel, the government still has a 64 vote majority. I think that there are provocative acts that could be minimized on both sides, and that will get to some sort of a civil dialogue. Because I don't believe that the differences are really that great. I don't think the opposition really wants to see the Supreme Court continue as it is. They all agree that it's a super activist court and has uh, taken for itself expansive roles that are not true in other countries and maybe this was mishandled from the start about how to go about this but right now they're riding a horse that they think is, is a winner and the opposition that is but I hope the people of Israel will demand that everybody come to the table and work it out we can't afford it also because of the economic impact you see some of the studies that statements have been made downgrading or potentially uh, downgrading credit ratings S&P, uh, Moody's, all of them have come out with uh, warnings and statements about it. And that's because of what? The, 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 what's their excuse? The precarious nature? The instability. The instability, precarious nature of the future of the government of Israel. I guess that's how they would... Uh... And, and the inability for them to produce when you have strikes, when you have the threats to leave the country, when you have other things which not so simple for them just to leave people threatened to leave the belief is that a lot of the high-tech sector a lot of the money for these demonstrations are coming from the high-tech sector and some of them do have options and we've seen the outflow of some but that doesn't mean they wouldn't have done it anyway so yeah. it gives them a cover uh, and by and by the way, if we're, let me just wrap up this uh, rant about the you know the media emphasizing the extreme. Uh, when major media sources like the New York Times have headlines like "unhappy with right wing leaders, some Israelis hatch escape plans," and they and they cite you know some of the things we just referred to, whether they're applying for passports for, uh, for other countries that they're eligible for passports, uh, if they're transferring money overseas, etc. I mean, I would have to imagine. 
and I don't know if you agree with me or not, and I'm very curious what you think. I would have to imagine that no matter that that whether there are protests or not, or whether there's happiness with the judiciary system in Israel or not, there's always a a significant segment or a you know a, yeah a significant segment of Israeli society that's always uh, applying for other passports. That's always thinking about you know putting their money you know somewhere else internationally. It can't be that this phenomenon be Again, simply because of an unhappiness with the judiciary branch of government. No, that's true. We saw it in Spain and Portugal, most recently in other countries, where Israelis have an extra passport just in case. Uh, it also makes travel easier. I mean, I want to get a European passport so that you don't have to wait on those long lines when you go to Europe that the Americans have to wait in, just as they don't like the long lines they have to wait when they come to America. The... Um, so, the, 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 yes, it is true that it was on. The question is the numbers, and we'll know that later. But I can tell you that I know from some of the foreign governments have told me that they, are, they have received a far larger number of requests really? for, uh, for passports. But that can be a matter of percentage. It doesn't, and absolute numbers are not clear at all. Right. And, and then the question is if the threat's real. You know, it's, it's the old of this person wins, I'm moving to Canada, which, of course, never happens. So when, when it comes to the Israelis, I understand that they're making certain moves, passports to make things easier and the money, etc. But I don't know if they're actually going to leave Israel. Right. right. Many of them, you know, if, if you have a high tech business, much of you, you may have offices abroad anyway and of necessity, something we, we right. all know that is important uh, as long as the R&D and everything stays in Israel. Then and all the creativity is still in Israel, and we see that the, that the Berg Foundation, the Binational Research and Development uh, Foundation, uh, just allocated I don't know eight million dollars for nine new projects between U.S. and Israeli companies. Uh, Intel is putting twenty-five billion dollars center. Nvidia is building a center in Israel. So it's not all the doom and gloom story. Now, I don't want to be alarmist, and I certainly don't want to sound selfish, but we should issue. A lot of people are going to be going to Israel now. You know, it's Shabbos Nachamu. This is the time of year now when people really get on their, uh, you know, on their vacation plans, and a lot of people are going to be heading to Israel. Should we assume, based on your, I don't want to say prediction, but your analysis of the reaction uh, to, this, um, uh, to this vote, should we assume that the airports could be blocked, that the roads could be blocked, that people coming in, and obviously people living in Israel, could be very very much inconvenience over the next few weeks. So could be is the, is the operative term here. It could be, but uh, as you know, that it, it aroused a lot of public negative uh, reaction when they blocked the, the airport and it's small numbers who did it. And it only lasted a short while. Uh, there were people who were inconvenienced, obviously, and especially those trying to drive out of the airport or into the airport. Um, the most serious part is where ambulances were blocked or were not able to function and hospitals going on strike uh, are all serious uh, issues. But as you know, you know, when you're in Jerusalem, for instance, you, you don't know about, you don't feel all of the tensions and blockages unless you're in an area directly impacted. Right. But when the highway between Tel Aviv and Yerushalayim is blocked, then that impacts everybody trying to go or come from this both cities. So I got to say that there's potential impact, impact if the demonstrations just continue unabated. 
and if they can sustain the numbers that they have. And we pray for unity. We started this conversation talking about unity in light of Tisha B'Av yesterday, Shabbos Nachamu, starting tonight. Uh, and you've seen some of the viral videos about how, in reality, we really are brothers and sisters, no matter what side of the political aisle uh, or the political issue we might be on. Um, I don't know. I, do you get, and I know you want to be optimistic, and we want you to be optimistic, but do you get the general feeling that some of those episodes of unity and demonstration of unity are really few and far between, and we just don't understand just how much hatred there is unfortunately going on right now between both sides i think both are true i think that there have been a lot of manifestations and i think people want to come together i think people good people are generally tired those who have an ideological or political uh, objective here uh, are not going to be on uh, on all sides i think that it's time for reasoned heads to to emerge and for them to take into account all the realities and sit down. In this case, it's Netanyahu again yesterday called for negotiations and he's ready to sit down. Uh, I know President Herzog is continuing his efforts. Others have, um, you know, and, and we have to see how his health is in, in the coming uh, weeks, but he looks like he's been able to function, come out of the hospital, go right to the Knesset, which is a challenge for the healthiest person. And they, uh, <laughs> and, and, and then, um, and be able to function. So the hope is that the summer heat will enable people to cool off and uh, <laughs> and sit down and get sound minds together when they see the reality. And nobody knows what would really happen if there's calls for a national referendum. It's not clear at all what the outcome of a national referendum would be when you saw last Sunday, what, 200,000, 300,000, 500,000 estimates about the number of people who came out supporting Netanyahu. Right. And there are other things to think about. First of all, the 64 nothing. I, I mean, I assume you've seen that happen a million times before. I don't recall, uh, you know, where, where the other side literally doesn't vote at all. Uh, I mean, is that common? Is this a, a rarity the way it happened? It's a protest, and they know what the outcome would be because it's only the government has a majority. It's going to be the outcome of the Knesset vote. So this way, they turn it into a protest. Right, but has to, that, but has that shtick? But have they used that yeah. shtick a lot uh, in the people past? People walked out. Yeah, people really? have walked out in the past. Where, where it ended up, there was zero on the other side. I don't know that the zero, but right. uh, certainly where uh, where they knew it was a lost cause. This is, I mean, it's not surprising at all, and it didn't have any impact. And officially, are there say that they, no, nobody was there. And officially, are there supposed to be more votes now? Like, what's the procedure now? Are there going to no, be now? Everything is uh, the Knesset's closed. Nothing happens till after Sukkot unless they have a emergency session. So right now, nothing else will happen. There are other parts of the bill that they still say they're going to bring up, but this part, the reasonableness clause, right. which I guarantee you, ninety-nine percent of the people can't define it. I'm finally getting. I'm, I'm finally getting a little bit of it. Like I'm finally beginning to slightly understand it. <laughs> well, that's very reasonable of you. And, uh, and by the way, and, is, the, is the court going to actually intervene now? I mean, that, that would be the biggest irony. Is the court literally now going to intervene and examine? No, they have to. It, it's been brought before the court, and the court has to make a decision. Does the court rule to save its own skin? I mean, this this will uh, make this will make Bush Gore look like you know the, the most fair evaluation by you mean his, the hanging Chad. Yeah, this by yeah, by yeah. a Supreme Court. I mean, they're they're literally voting. It's like voting for your own salary, like they do in Congress. They're literally voting on whether they, as a body, can accept this restriction or not. Right. 
that's crazy. But what are the chances of it go of, of it not being? Well, there's no down? other option because you don't have any other standard. Right, but what are the odds of it not going through the Supreme Court? Then there will not be a reasonableness act in, enacted, most likely, right? Unless they are able to force some sort of a, of a conciliation and come up with an alternative. But for now, with the Knesset out of session, and I don't think that the government is going to listen to a proposal from the Supreme Court, but. We'll have to see. They, they are deliberating it. It's funny. The protesters are going to regret having spent all that time on the street when they'll realize that all this time, even if Netanyahu made sure to get it through with 64 votes, it's still going to be voted out by the Supreme Court. <laughs> I mean, if this, yeah. is, if this is the inevitability that they have to approve you know, any adjustment to the way they operate, then, I mean, what's the well, point? That's, that's the point about the overreach of the court. Right. And because you don't have the checks and balances that we have here and a court that appoints itself, its successors, and, you know, generally oriented in a way. But um, and the court, you know, this is very important because the court's legitimacy in the international community is what protects us at Hague, at the Hague, because one of the criteria is if, if the court's systems are skewed uh, in the country and not likely to have fair trials, et cetera. Then the international court, the the uh, ICC or the or the human rights court, uh, whatever, can are more uh, able to intervene in cases brought against the country. Wow, that's interesting. Some, I never even thought of that. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world. The web at AlchemSiegel.com and the AlchemSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. The push for a constitution in Israel would that make things easier and better? It'll be very complicated. There are people who feel very strongly that uh, the absence of a constitution creates these crises, and having one would help define it. But trying think how they can't get an agreement on this, how hard it would be to get an agreement on the text of the Constitution. Is it still likely that the Biden-Netanyahu meeting is going to happen in New York in September, or it still might be a White House invitation? Well, I certainly hope that it will be a White House invitation because a meeting on the sidelines of the GA does not have the same status. And after President Herzog's uh, very successful visit and meeting in the White House, uh, I think to it's more important for Netanyahu that he have the meeting in the White House and said that he was invited there and his aides who heard the conversation said it was repeated twice that the president I think mentioned coming to the White House so I hope that will be the outcome it, it does make a difference even though it may be symbolic to people but oh, uh, I think it's a message to the international community that this is a serious endeavor and it's an elevation of the meeting. Uh, and if the Speaker of the House decides to invite him to a joint, sen- a joint session of Congress. Yeah, I don't think that's likely now. To I don't even, I don't even know if he'd be able to it. accept it. I don't well, know. it would be politically uh, wrought, but uh, right now it doesn't exist, so I don't right. have to worry about it. Yeah, I just wonder if he could even say yes at this point uh, without worrying about insulting everybody. Um 
Also, when we were reading about all the defections, so to speak, the concern was that uh, there's something going on up north. Uh, concern was that there's you know reservists that are necessary and needed now uh, in terms of activity uh, versus Syria and the Golan, etc. I assume the greatest concern up there was a threat by Hezbollah. Could you give us a an update about the northern border? Yes, it's very important. And the, the unfortunate thing is that there have been many developments regarding Iran. Uh, as you know, Bibi was supposed to go today to Turkey, uh, the first visit in 15 years by Prime Minister since Omer went, and also visit to Cyprus. Uh, President Abbas was there yesterday. Uh, that was a, a very important and a new deal that Greece, Cyprus, and Israel, putting a South power cable, which has really big significance uh, for them in the export of energy. Uh, but... Uh, and, you know, the good stories get completely erased. The, the exercise during the first that took place uh, was mostly a U.S.-Israel naval exercise, but I never heard of it before. The IDF Death Corp, D-E-P-T-H Corp, which is supposedly very shadowy, and they participated. Uh, the border along Lebanon, we've seen uh, Hamas, Hezbollah, troops marching along it in uniform right up to the Israeli border. They didn't tr- attempt to to cross, but they're doing provocative uh, things. The uh, terrorism attempts are, are uh, escalating. The Lebanese just built a road along the, the border, uh, which will facilitate their movement on, on that side. Uh, I think um, the the uh, the threat there is taken very seriously. It's spoken to people who are up there, and they are looking at it all the time. The, um, you know, and that's the danger that people take advantage and, and misread the truth about the internal unity that still remains in Israel. And the, um, uh, you know, the Iranians are doing these huge exercises. They did aerial exercises, naval exercises. They revealed their new. Um, a hypersonic missile, and this all relates to the situation because they're the ones who are behind uh, the, what Hezbollah does, and if they think that they can escalate and get away with it, then they, they will. By the way, the, all, all the things that Hezbollah are doing uh, are, are violations of 1701, and you see the UNIFIL uh, troops that are there do not do anything to intervene. But what I was saying is that, that the Iranians revealed the uh, the next generation of the of liquid fuel ballistic missile called Haibar, and you know Haibar was uh, a fortified city near Medina, uh, which was inhabited largely by Jews who were mm. killed by Muslim armies in 628 led by Muhammad, it's, uh, and it's symbolic of you know the yellow Haibar demonstrations because it means to wipe out the Jews. And, this, and the new missile is based on a North Korean one. So, again, we see this logistic relationship between them and is capable of carrying a nuclear warhead it's believed, and, and a cluster uh, uh, weapon. So this direct threat to NATO, to the bases they created in Romania and, and elsewhere. Uh, so all of them are sort of taking advantage. And, and a lot of it is manifest then along the border with the... Uh, with Lebanon, where Hezbollah obviously has free reign. Right. And we have to watch that very carefully. 
and we and we and we should assume. I mean, based on what you said earlier, we should assume that even with all the threats by reservists, Israel has the personnel to deal with it, and they don't have to worry about a shortage. Well, they, I think they are concerned because if, if God forbid something really escalates there, right, you're going to need uh, more manpower uh, to. Um, and, and if you see the rising terrorism, and you saw the study that there were 3,600-plus Palestinian terror attacks in the first half of 2023. And the escalation in terrorism, which is more than a year old, so it's not related just to this uh, issue, but we've seen it. And that's why they had to go into Janine, why they've been in Pulkaram. Uh, they, the uh, services recorded, I think, 3,650 terrorist attacks, 2,000 uh, of them rock throwing and 799 with Molotov, and uh, then uh, you know 18 or 20 attempted stabbings and car and six car rammings, uh, and the shootings though have increased. I think it's over a hundred. So these do not include the attacks on security personnel and counterterrorism operations. So the escalation has been going on. The incitement inside clearly is going on. And by the way, we should note that people who are looking always for good news, which they should, that Saudi Arabia has completely changed their textbook, taken out all the reference to monkeys and pigs, taken out the anti-Jewish references and anti-Israel references, and put in stuff about Hamas, Muslim Brotherhood, uh, I think ISIS, in their textbooks, which I think is very important. And the EU said this week that they, there's a call for them to freeze their funding of the money they give for textbooks for the Palestinians because they have only made their textbooks worse. So Saudi Arabia joins Egypt and Bahrain and UAE in really making progressive ste- steps to change uh, their textbooks in a hope that this then seeps down into the population where anti-Jewish and anti-Israel numbers still remain very high, even in Abraham Accord countries. Well, that certainly is good news. Was, was this a direct um, message or threat, or I don't even know if it came from the President of the United States, maybe it came from um, from the State Department or something. Um, th- there was something out there about the the only way the United States can progress with a Saudi deal, and I'm assuming they mean also to include, you know, Abraham Accords type relationship is if uh, the prime minister, meaning Netanyahu, gets rid of the extremists and, uh, you know, disavows himself from those who are extreme uh, in his party. Uh, is that is that simply a veiled threat to try to get Netanyahu to budge a bit on this issue? Well, I haven't seen that threat, but uh, the answer would be if it is, it's yes. Because remember, there's a flip side to this, and that is that if the United States wants to get a deal through with Saudi Arabia, they need Israel. Because a lot of the Republicans will vote against it. A lot of others will vote against it. But if it includes something very beneficial in terms of Saudi-Israel relationships, relations, which are could be game changers in, in many respects, but Saudi Arabia is still a leader in the region, and it won't be overnight, but it could be in the longer term, uh, they will need uh, that support, the political support, because there's a lot of anti-Saudi feeling uh, still from 9-11, other things. And um, the Shogi uh, affair, uh, human rights issues that they raise. So it's a two-way street. I, I, I have not seen that particular threat. Uh, it's possible. But I think that the United States seems to still be pursuing it. But there won't be a deal, it looks like, with Saudi Arabia without U.S. involvement. There are other countries. There are talks going on. 
Uh, you've seen the Israelis visiting now in Africa, where they accompanied by parallel visits by Iranians who are seeking out and, and trying to establish themselves there, Russians also. Uh, but the, the uh, African pitch and many African leaders have told me that they fear the Iranians. They don't want to deal with the uh, Iranians um, because they're exploitative and they introduce terrorism. And, you know, Iran, which is uh, feeling the benefit of skyrocketing federal reserves, which were $4 billion in 2020 and now are almost $45 billion. And that comes from the sale of uh, energy and that we are providing some of the billions of dollars or allowing Iraq to give it. We're, we're, there's a new plan that with the money would go to Americans. The American government would supervise it in Oman, make sure the money goes for humanitarian projects, but money is fungible. So if you take the money away from there, you know that it's going to, uh, they're going to redirect other funds. And we know that, that the, by the way, Iran morality police have targeted a million women for, for not wearing the headscarves. We know that they sent personal texts to over 130,000 uh, that they should stop using their vehicles. They confiscated 2,000 cars. They uh, referred more than 4,000 repeated vice, uh, uh, offenders. They are um, deploying uh, TV cameras where they track the women and then uh, for compulsory bailing. Uh, so both internally, you see the crackdown. And the fact is that half the country doesn't have water, that the spigots are running dry in people's homes, even in major cities. And yet all the money that they spend on their uh, terrorists, Hezbollah, Hamas, etc., Houthis, uh, continues to expand. Wow. I was going to ask you about the water shortage. Talk about basic necessities. Half the country. It's very serious. Unbelievable. Their, their reservoirs, even though they had a very rainy winter, are down 80%. Unbelievable. Um, a recent poll, by the way, I was trying to find it, um, the reference to the Biden threat to Netanyahu. I, I think this is one of those cases where after I put it in my notes, I deleted it from my phone. Um, but if I do come across it again, I'll... Certainly let everyone know. Um, a, a new poll that the Democrat uh, sympathies now lie more with the PA than with Israel. This was a 49 to 38 percentage poll. And the point of the poll was, the, or the point of the analysis of the poll was to demonstrate that even though Democratic uh, government officials certainly are more sympathetic to Israel, that has not changed, thank God. We discussed Congress last week and its attitude toward Israel in light of the vote. Um, but apparently, according to Democrat, to this poll, Democratic voters are switching to the other side. Well, first of all, we have to see how the questions are written and what, what this population is selected, who did the poll. Uh, there are a lot of questions. You know, pollsters are known to be able to get the results that they want, and it's how you shape the question. When the vote in Congress is 412 to 9, despite all the hype about the, you know, the boycotters and the, et cetera, the vast majority of members of Congress, they interrupted with standing ovations, uh, the speech of, the, of President Herzog uh, 20 or 30 times. And believe me, it was not easy getting up and sitting down, getting up and sitting down all the time. And, you know, it's, it's like sitting in shul on, on uh, Rosh Hashanah and uh, you have to get up all the time. But um, uh, look, the support from the American people still remains strong by all standards. The media, obviously, has been hostile, and that impacts people. We know what's going on on our campuses, the hostility that's being propagated, even in our high schools. 
and more and more actions are being taken by the organized community that we're going to be more aggressive in trying to root it out. We're getting much more hard information on this, um, but we know that the campuses have become hotbeds of this, and so when people are, are only fed one side of the story and one image, when they keep being told that 12 people were killed in Janine, for instance, at first the reports for most of the day where five children were killed, when no children were killed, no civilians were killed. A thousand soldiers go and kill 12 people, all of whom were terrorists, because the terrorist groups identified all of them. Yeah. And, and yeah, so that poisons uh, the minds of people. And there's obviously funding and other things behind it, which I hope we are going to be and are being more aggressive countering. What do you think of the increased activity compared to prior years on Harabayat on the Temple Mount on Tishabov, and really year-round, the uh, increased presence there? You know, it's, I think people should, Jews, and like everybody, should have the right to go there. And, and uh, you know, that five people were detained for bowing. Yeah, you know, I guess the same Modim or St. Helena or something there. Um, I don't believe that it's necessary to have provocative actions that are unnecessary, but the right to go up there, especially to Shabbat, and not to do provocative things and not to, to incite, the, but the other side will try to create provocations so that the media can then hype it and say Ben Gabir was there. Uh, you can disagree a lot with Ben Gabir. Yeah, but he, he acted responsibly, right? He, he actually yeah. did not do anything provocative, right. but his very presence... Right is seen as a provocation. By the way, I, I still can't, I mean, I'm sure you can't as well. I, I can't get over the whole Torah burning thing. Now I just saw that Stockholm has approved another public burning of Tanakh, apparently in the application for the protest. It was in protest of children's rights, that they're being violated in Sweden, what one has to do with the other. I have no idea. Last I, was, last I heard, Tanakh was in, in fact in favor of children. But th- I, I'm telling you, Malcolm, I for some reason, this is getting me that there's no, um, there's no public manifestation. I thought certainly that the religious leaders of our community worldwide, uh, who who don't usually get involved in protest demonstrations, you know, this type of public display, but I thought would use this case to get out there and literally have a Torah celebration in response, uh, uh, you know, there in the capital of Sweden. But it seems like, I don't know, maybe in this case I'm wrong and it's better just to not react to it. So there is a good case for that. Second of all, I do believe we should have, everybody should have reacted immediately to the original threat because that's a measure that when they burned the Koran, we should have protested and put out statements. Some people did, not enough. Uh, and I mean, not just Jews, the general, because you have to say that this is a violation, this crosses lines. And it was inevitable that somebody would come up with this line, but it was a protest demonstration. He never intended to burn a sacred Torah. If anything, he applied to burn the burn a chumash, right. but it was not a sefer Torah. Although I don't think it makes a difference. Right. Uh, but but he said he did it only to bring attention to the other, to show the hypocrisy, etc. The the Jewish community in Sweden is very small. They've been under a lot of pressure because of the anti-Israel atmosphere, because presence of not large Muslim populations, but also government. Uh, has not seen is not certainly supportive and has been very critical of Israel, but the the uh, the person behind this newest threat is somebody, let's say, who is considered unstable. And I know it was the decision of many of the people in Sweden not to take it on because of who was behind it. 
and the thought also that they won't go uh, through with it. Uh, but, it, you know, you invite copycatting. If they really feel, if the bad guys feel that they're really getting attention and really challenging and really, uh, you know, arousing the anger, uh, it's, it, they just can, will continue to make the threat. And unfortunately, well, or fortunately, for, depending on which side of the spectrum you're on, the, uh, the laws in Sweden allow this as an expression of freedom of speech. Yeah. I think that there should be legislation that goes against that, that you, you can't just have limitless freedom of speech that, that is so offensive and so uh, derogatory to burn the holy books of other people. By the way, they're burning a Christian Bible, too. Yeah, I get it. Well, I understand your approach, and I certainly appreciate it, and you're right about all of it. But I'm going to add something, and that is that uh, to all those who are taking international trips and funding them at insane cost to visit the different sites, I am going to appeal to you uh, to maybe uh, think of arranging a trip where a group of people would go, and I'll, I'll certainly volunteer to be one of them, to go and literally have a positive Torah celebration to demonstrate to the people of Sweden and the world how dear the Torah is to us. And I would hope that religious leaders in our community Rabbis, Rashi Yeshiva, etc., uh, would endorse such a, a reaction. Um, yeah, here's an opportunity for them to, to really get involved, and uh, <laughs> and 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 as you said, the initial reaction is so important. Let's let's at least get something going for people to see that this is dear to us. But on the other hand, there are, there are people who say we should be calling for people not to go to Sweden and to protest that way. Uh, and not to give them the money and the visitors and the tourism that people should stay away and protest that the, that the government must take action. All right. To prevent this. So maybe I'll recommend to some of the Russian yeshiva to have all the Bahram go and do a celebration in front of the Swedish embassy in New York. Is there a Swedish embassy in New York? Do we have to go to Washington? Absolutely. Okay. There's a UN mission and there's an embassy in Washington. So maybe that's what we should do. Here. Maybe that's what we should do. Maybe now, especially that's Ben Asmanim, Tubav is coming up. Maybe that's what we should do. We should call for thousands of yeshiva Bahram to, to have a Simchus Torah celebration in front of the Swedish embassy or the Swedish mission to the UN in New York to demonstrate our love and concern for the Torah to not be burned, uh, but to be perpetuated and studied forever. I'll see if uh, anyone jumps on that and I'll start making some phone calls. I think it's a very interesting idea. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Malcolm, I thank you. Enjoy Shabbos Nachamu and uh, we'll speak to you, please God, next week. hope it's a Nachamu for everyone and that people not get depressed that people, I gave you some of the positive news. It's a lot more than I, I could. You know, 50 members of Congress moved to end pay to slay. We, I mean, there are just there were too many things that yeah. uh, I couldn't uh, and I gotta, get to. And I got to get into this whole issue with you about uh, certain countries trying to make sure that the dollar is no longer the default world currency. Because that's, that's a scary thing. So I don't think we could do that. I'll regalach us. <laughs> yes, but I'm the wrong guy. You? Uh, economics, oh, economics always made me glaze over. You know what's so what's you know what's so funny? But in my case, it's actually true. I, I'll never understand economics, but I always turn to you when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> to well, I turn to others to try and get to understand all these things. Well, there you have God, it. That, that, there are people who do pay attention to. That's it. your homework and, assignment: is to find out why the BRICS countries are so anxious to get rid of the dollar. That would be a uh, that would be so- these the Chinese and the Russians and the Iranians are behind this. They want to get off the the dollars and think it'll weaken American currency and trade abroad, it has real implications. I can only imagine, God forbid, what it could do to the value of the dollar, which of course would be tragic in many ways. All right, have a wonderful Shabbos and we'll speak again next week. Malcolm Holmline is Vice Chairman Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM and the AM.